0: You know, in the US alone, it is estimated that over 850 million toothbrushes are discarded and end up in a landfill every single year. Our guest today is the CEO of Brush With Bamboo, the founder of the growing club, She's also known as the zero waste farmer that grows some amazing food in her backyard. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Manju Kumar. Hi, Manju.
1: Hi Mariska.
0: Would you mind telling our crazy birds, how did your sustainable journey start?
1: Well, uh, I think in some way I've always been sustainable. So I would say that maybe always had it in me, but I I think that around 2000, 13 is when I really started to pay attention to, you know, uh, what plastic was doing to our environment. And I had been traveling for about 10 months. So I had been traveling all over Asia and had become aware of waste because, you know, other countries are not as great at hiding our waste as we are here in the U.S. So In the U.S., we don't really see our waste. You know, we put it out on the curb and it's taken away. And we never even think about, like, where did it go? What happened to it? Like, it's out of our hands and we feel like it's been taken care of and we trust. So we never really question what happens to it. But when I was... On my journey, you know, uh, I went to Bali, I went to Thailand, I went to China, I went to India. In all these countries, they don't have an efficient hide your garbage system uh, or, you know, taking it away. And so it's really, really right in front of your eyes. And I saw how different people were disposing of it and then when I got back almost like the first week of you know my getting back I watched my my kids had been watching some plastic documentaries and so they showed me these documentaries after the first one I was like really like I just made the connection and it was such a hard hit that you know I kept questioning okay we see the problem we see the problem and all night long I kept thinking there has to be a solution there has to be a solution. And so I couldn't sleep all night. And, you know, I thought, okay, well, you know, the solution is we just have to stop using plastic. And I thought, you know, in my very simplistic mind, oh, that would be easy. You know, you just quit. And then I realized the reality of how much plastic has invaded our lives and how reliant we are on plastic and plastic. practically every part of our life and so even if you decided that you wanted to quit it wasn't going to be so easy to get everybody else on board but you know it's like you have to you have to kind of like first know there is a problem i think there was one documentary that talked about like all the plastic that we have in our households you know look in our purse look in our closets you know like everything that we touch is plastic and by the time he removed everything from his house that was plastic ended up with like nothing.
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs)
1: So so I just started to think about that in my own household. And I also like you did the 30 day challenge for yourself. I also decided that for one month, I was going to see what is all the plastic that I am using, and then I sorted it, kind of looked at it, and I thought, okay, maybe you know, these are the things that I can immediately remove, and these are the things that will take some time, and there are some things that are unfortunately not possible. So we basically, you know, started our journey over there. That's how my sustainable journey started. It was just that life-changing you know like click that happened after seeing all these things and then we decided okay yeah i like I have to change like I can't be part of the problem
0: yeah I think when you look at some of these documentaries and you see some of these things it's really shocking because then it kind of this truth really just hits you and yeah. um, you kind of just want to scream it from the rooftop so more people can join the more you like dig into this whole plastic pollution and issues it's really so scary you know yeah. the moment you realize oh my word like You know from my toothbrush to this to that everything is plastic and you know I I got such a fright the first time that I like you know digged a little bit deeper and decided well maybe I should just like get rid of all the plastic and it yeah it was insane and I just feel like you know people need to take it as a journey because if you're going to try and do it overnight you are going to confuse yourself you're going to frustrate yourself and right. there is no quick fix. I mean, we didn't start using plastic yesterday like I was born using plastic items. So, so you know, you kind of have to get rid of it in time and slowly and just so that it's not such a burden that you don't want to do anything. Manju, you also converted your garden a few years back from being just a green lawn With some plants into something quite spectacular that provides food to so many, why was it important for you to make that switch? You know, a lot of
1: people ask me that question, you know, I don't know if nurturing, you know, the garden has always been in me, it's genetic, or if it's... I know definitely that my passion keeps growing for it, the more I'm involved in it. I do come from two families that have at one point or the other, you know, like maybe two generations back, they were into big time farming or landlords and you know agriculture has always been in our family uh, even though my dad you know, only had vegetable gardens but he, he always had vegetable gardens even though I wasn't actively involved in growing any of the food till I had my own house my own piece of land to nurture I've always been interested in it and you know life you know having kids having work like all those you know you have to juggle so many things in your life so I did all always have a garden however much I could handle so I've always been doing that and you know like I I, one of the sweetest stories that you know I've always had a love for uh, waterfalls and gardens I remember one birthday when I came back from from the house my kids they knew that I wanted a waterfall so they actually dug up part of the slope and stream and put a hose on top and made (laughs) made (laughs) A little. It was very funny. It was. It was like, oh, now I have to put this back. But it was just very sweet. (laughs) that they had, you know, they knew that I wanted a water feature. So they actually made the effort to like put this all together. They were only like maybe seven, uh, five or they were small when they did that. So it was very sweet.
0: Oh, so sweet. Um, So have you found, have you since then gotten your water feature? uh, I do. (laughs) It's not exactly what I want still, but we do have. So,
1: you know, right now I do have a couple of water features. They're more like water Harvesting features, uh, we have, you know, rain gutters that empty into swales and we have a uh, pond right now in the um, wintertime with all the rains so It always at a low point of our property. So in the backyard, whatever excess water that is on our property, it fills into that pond and then it goes back into the ground. And the same thing happens in the front. We have a swale that captures all the rainwater and then sinks it into the ground. So those are the water features. I mean, I would love to have like a natural pond with fish and all kinds of water plants. And maybe down the line that'll happen. Again, it's obtainability. Right now we have a tropical jungle feeling of a house. You actually cannot tell that you're in the suburbs or on the property. And you know, we've been thinking about moving to a larger piece of land. And you know, my dad was just here visiting and he says, nobody will buy this place. <laughs> I said dad I have to find crazy just like me. (laughs) I do have water features but you know there's always plans for a bigger water feature.
0: (laughs) Exactly and you also have a lot of fruit trees and vegetables. What exactly is in your garden? So I had a love for
1: chocolate early when I started. That was maybe 20 years back when we moved into the house or maybe even 30 years back. I started to plant more tropical fruit trees because you know peaches and apricots and plums like those were available in the market. I wanted to grow stuff that I couldn't find market. So I started to plant what cultural foods that, you know, I was used to, like guavas, mangoes, and bananas. And then I got into rare fruit growers, growing things not only just of my culture, but of other cultures, just because I have this obsession with like all kinds of rare fruits and uh, diversity of foliage. So right now I have, oh oh gosh, uh, maybe close to, I would say, 90 to 100 berries bushes, buying wow. uh, trees that give me fruit. And literally, I don't need to... any fruit unless you know I'm not what I'm not growing but right now managing close to about 250 trees and every year we plant a few more so it's like a pretty crowded base but you know I am managing three properties so I have my house which is 5,000 square feet and we have trees every six to eight feet on you know our 5,000 square feet we have medicinal plants or fruit trees some you know our combination because most fruit trees are also medicinal their leaves are medicinal they have different properties. So, you know, like I have guava, guava leaves are great for when you have a a loose stomach, it's also good for your teeth. So there's a a lot that I started to learn about what we Growing. But yeah, I have a, a real diversity of different things. So right now, I've got bananas. I have like five varieties of bananas. I have about seven mangoes. I have cherimoyas. I have three types of guavas. Uh, at our half-acre farm, we have about 32 stone fruits and a few pears, and mulberries, and we just planted citrus over there, fig. I think there's always more that I can, more diversity that I grow, but I have a lot like i
0: have a lot (laughs) yeah it sounds like a lot and how much food do you guys then grow from out the gardens so
1: it all depends year to year on the weather and like this year i got maybe five pomegranates or maybe 10 pomegranates at the house off my three trees. Last year, I had maybe close to 500 pounds of pomegranate. This year, the jujubes did really well and the strawberry guavas did really well because we had in LA, you know, the weather is definitely warming up. Uh, We're having triple digit heat and we're having heat spurts at very unpredictable times of the year. And so we had a lot of crop loss. Like, for instance, we had, uh, we have about, I would say, 20 different grape trellises. And this year we got no grape, even though they were loaded with fruit. But then we had this crazy, you know, one week heat right before the fruit was almost ripe and it just shriveled on the tree. So, you know, a lot of times you have these crazy losses as well. But all in all, like there's always something to eat in the garden. I don't really buy any fruit. We have plenty of our own. And sometimes, you know, uh, if you are in this gardening community, you get to meet other friends that have gardens. And so there's also like sharing going on you know I have too many persimmons or too many pomegranates so you know recently I just went and harvested about 150 pounds of pomegranates from a friend because I had none she had four trees so mm-hmm. I pruned her a tree for her and harvested it <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so
0: yeah. it is a good exchange <laughs> yeah that sounds amazing So what would be some of the advice that you would be able to give people that want to start with their own permaculture garden in their backyard?
1: Learn about uh, lasagna mulching. Learn about no-till farming there's lots of wonderful youtube videos including some of our own Uh, my son and me we created lots of youtube videos on uh, under the label of like the growing club i'm you never see me because i'm always the one who's actually taking the footage and he's the one that's in front of the camera yeah we made some lovely videos but there's also so many other people that are into no-till farming that you know that would be the place to start. Is start learning. You have to start also looking at like you know, don't throw any of your green waste away. You know, whatever you leaves, branches. You know, find out some easy methods that work for you. Like for instance, when I first started and I had very little time, I would just hire somebody to dig me a little pit, and then I would just keep burying my major green waste in those pits every year. And for my kitchen green waste i would just drink dig small holes in the yard and then just bury it cuz composting takes time and You know, it takes a little bit of skill. Mm. You have to learn how to balance, you know, the nitrogen and the carbon and know how to mix it and, and, you know, know the right amount of water to put in. So it's not very complicated. It can be done, but sometimes it takes time and digging holes and burying stuff is like super easy. So most of the time I just do that. Bury it in the ground, let nature take care of it. Like whatever nature can take care of for me, I let her do it. My effort is just returning the nutrients back to her. I would say, yeah, learn about lasagna mulching and no-till farming.
0: So when you say lasagna mulching, that is a term I have not heard before. And I think there's some of our crazy birds that's um, probably thinking the same. Would you mind explaining a little bit about that? So lasagna mulching
1: is what nature does. If you go in the forest, the soil is always covered with organic matter. When leaves fall, they stay there. We're kind of mimicking what nature already does. And basically it would be a process of, let's say you want to get rid of a lawn. So instead of actually removing the lawn, you would find cardboard that's being tossed out. You would lay the cardboard down on your grass and then you would find other free resources like uh, manures, you know, uh, horse bedding, weeds, lawn clipping, shredded, what do you call it, uh, tree, pr- uh, tree trimmings. And you would just start laying them down like you would make a lasagna. You would just like build this stuff. So the cardboard is more to suppress the grass and turn the grass itself into compost uh, without you having to dig it out. And then you would just put uh, organic matter on top. So you would layer it with leaves and horse bedding and tree trimming. So you're just layering on top. So every year you provide a layer of, not every year, it depends actually on like how much organic matter you lay down at one time. So you might not need to do it every year. If you lay a thin layer down, you might have to do it every year. If you lay a thicker layer down, you might not have to do it for two years. Constantly keeping the ground covered so that it's slowly returning nutrients back So soil. It's a way of like locking carbon into the soil, returning nutrients. And when you lay down organic, matter all over the soil it creates a habitat for all soil born and soil living organisms there are many that we can see with our eyes and there are many that we cannot see with our eyes so we're creating a living soil system uh, and mm. these i like to say that it's the soil beneath our feet that actually helps us thrive because these soil-borne organisms that are encouraged to, you know, set up house in the soil are the ones that break down all the organic matter and feed our trees and feed our plants and return nutrients to our plants. So it's a pretty easy, you know, like if you think about it, it's just, you know, all you're doing is laying organic matter on the ground, but it creates such a complex world after that that is mind-boggling how much good you're doing
0: yeah, when you do So, other than doing the farming together with your family, you started brush with bamboo in 2012. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so
1: you know, after watching all the documentaries, like we had said, we were all on the pretty much the same page. We know Uh, we were all looking at our at the impact of our lives and one of the things we realized is that the very first thing that goes into our mouth early morning is plastic. We started to look at how can we remove, you know, what are the alternatives out there to the plastic toothbrush? And we found that there were no alternatives out there. And so, you know, we did some more digging and we found that, you know, ancient China actually used to have a bamboo toothbrush that they had. And and that was actually the first bamboo toothbrush. They used uh, boar bristles for, for their, toothbrush. It was a pretty, you know, if you go online, you'll be able to see the images of that first toothbrush. But there were no options available to us. And so we decided to create one. And uh, it took about nine months to develop the first, I would say, modern world toothbrush and now of course you can find it everywhere there's you know lots of brands that have come out uh, now but yeah so that was the story it was like that's how Brush with Bamboo started is you know we just realized that there was a need for a alternative to a plastic toothbrush and we decided we were going to created and um, we worked with a friend of ours who lives in China and um, you know found out just developed it found out you know we we tested a lot the first year you know there were some bristles that would fall out so there was a lot of like in the beginning it was it took a little while it took a you know a trials get it right uh, now brush B- bamboo is uh, leading bamboo toothbrush company we have our first the first organic toothbrush uh, it's the first plant-based toothbrush our to- bristles are made mostly with castor or bean oil and um, we're constantly looking at how do we reduce the impact of our toothbrush and constantly looking at how do we make it better how do we make it the best so we we also as a company we realize that everything that we need to do we need to third party verify it to you know make sure everything is kosher so we always do a lot of testing of our product first ourselves and then by a lab so that it's the best that you know can offer that sounds
0: amazing and um so you guys do brush more teeth than the average person testing out all of these toothbrushes
1: (laughs) that's true not a lot of brushing We, I brush only twice a day and you know we do you know like before we launch anything the whole family will brush with it for a month and, and see you know how we how it's performing before we actually uh, <laughs> decide you know to go further
0: and I mean a toothbrush it's something that obviously like what you said it's the first thing you put in your mouth in the mornings and and people still think that even with that you know if they make that switch it might not be a lot But if you think just in the US, I think it was something like 850 million toothbrushes are discarded of every single year that is a massive amount if you use between two to three toothbrushes a year you know it's a lot it adds up every little thing adds up so i'm so grateful that you guys are doing this and that you're leading the way with these bamboo toothbrushes and i just hope more people will get their hands on them so that they can actually use that instead of the plastic ones we definitely need to switch our toothbrushes i mean The one thing is it's the easiest step that you
1: can take in your zero waste lifestyle. Like that's one super simple switch. And uh, earlier when we first started, we would get a lot of complaints about, well, the price is too high. And honestly, you know, it's a handmade product. It's made with a lot of care. And, you know, and you would look at being, you know, um, make sure that, you know, everybody is paid fairly for their work. Um, I think plastic made everything very cheap and not realistic. So it's really important when we step into our zero waste journey that we understand, you know, the value of stuff. One One of the things with our disposable lifestyle is everything is cheap. We don't think about it and we just dispose of it and buy another one. Well, that's better to buy something that's quality, that has life. It's okay to pay a little bit more for a good product.
0: What has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around Mama Earth?
1: I would just say to learn from Mama Earth has been one of my most revelations is to learn from her because all the earth system is so much more mature than our understanding and her systems have all the answers like there really is no waste in this system it is a circular system it is it's a give and take system so it's to me i would say what my biggest thing is one of the reasons that I am absolutely in love with nature and with mama earth is because all all the wisdom is right there. It's a living planet, and we can learn so much from her. And, and we need to be her right hand. We don't need to dominate the earth. We need to assist the earth. We're here to be her right hand. And if we assist her, we can really thrive on this planet. If we go with her systems and seek her wisdom, you know, like everything will be regenerated and thrive. Yeah,
0: that's very true. And I wish more people would be doing that. You know, hopefully then our planet won't be in the state that it is and that we can actually learn to thrive together. That's such an important point. Right, right. You know, it takes nature about 500 years to create like an
1: inch of topsoil. But with our assistance, we can do that. In one year, that's what I mean by like being your, you know, being her right hand. If we work with her systems, exactly. we can actually regenerate the planet super easy. And of course, we got to We got to like use materials that are recognized by the planet and with our foods and, you know, with the food chain.
0: So, yeah. cool. Wow, that sounds amazing. So, we are going to move into our final 5. So, the first one is what is one social media account that you follow?
1: So, you're only yeah. going to ask me for what?
0: <laughs> well, if you've That's got if have got a few, we could maybe mention them as well. <laughs> I
1: mean, I'm friends with a lot of zero waste lifestyleers. They're, you know, amazing accounts. There's uh, Eating with Max, there's Trashes for Tossers, there is Wasteland Rebel, there's Going Zero Waste. I would say the person that I most respect is probably Beth Terry. And I know she's not very active on social media, but she's been like, I think, in, in my eyes, the, the key, you know, the, the one that kind of got it all started at us looking at the waste problem. So I would say, yeah, if I had to say one, that I'm very thankful for is uh, it's Beth Terry because she really, you know, she wrote her, she wrote the first zero waste book and, and, you know, started the first zero waste blog. And uh, even though, She's very active. I don't think she's like so much mentioned in the zero-way circle. But yeah, I really honor that woman.
0: We'll definitely check her out. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? My hope is that she flourishes,
1: you know, that her ecosystem is brought back to balance.
0: I, I'm not so much worried
1: about the Earth as much or as I am for humanity, because you know, um, eventually, you know, it's like the balance that needs to happen. It'll and it will happen, but you know, at what cost? I'm I'm not sure. I I would love to all of us because we humans are a part of this planet. We're children of this earth. We're one of the children. You know, there are many. We are like the most consciously aware child in the garden. So yeah, I'm hoping that it will pull out. Will you know? We're gonna join together and make this Eden.
0: What advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? I would say this year start with just planting a tree. Commit to planting one tree
1: every year for the rest of your life whether you do it at your own home or whether you you know support some organization that will plant a tree make sure they nurture it also make sure you know that it's an organization that will actually make sure that the tree survives so i would say in your christmas holiday you know uh, spirit uh, you look at giving back And give back by planting a tree.
0: And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? I would
1: say start looking at giving back. Look at how you can give back. And giving back that you have to understand ecosystem. For each one of us, like the answers of what we can do is different based on where we live, what's available to us. But I would say just look at you know, like how you can give back and how you can increase the good that you do. It's it's all about increasing the good that you do, whether you stop using plastic, whether you plant a tree, whether you eat at home more, like just look at how you can give
0: back. Well, that's amazing because I think, you know, a lot of people think that they have to do so much, but if you just start with the little things to give back, that's going to make such a difference already. Yes. and Start small. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> start small. And where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram.
1: I My account name is Zero Waste Farmer. Yeah, follow me.
0: Awesome. So we will definitely link all of those um, accounts up and also your YouTube channel. I'm very, very excited to see oh. the one with you and your son. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for all of this knowledge. I feel like I've learned so much. Yeah, just please keep on doing what you're doing. Um, I'm definitely going to be following you and I just love all the stories to hear about what's happening in the garden and with the cats. And um, yeah, just keep, keep on providing us with this amazing, amazing knowledge.
1: Thank you, Mariska. Thanks for all the work that you're doing. I really appreciate you uh, gathering all the messages and sharing them.
0: Oh, thank you so much